I too want to greet you all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Earl was sharing just the last few comments and thinking about what Myron said. I had to think. I think it was the Hebrew writer that said, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And I think this morning it's been brought to our attention and we've been encouraged of so great a salvation. And I trust that we can continue to be encouraged in that direction of allowing God to work out that great salvation in our lives, that common salvation. Well, I want to say welcome to this part of the service, everyone, especially visitors. It's a blessing to have my parents here this morning and several of their friends. I believe church is a little bit empty this morning. I thought of it. It might be a little that way with a number of families missing, but I want to welcome everybody that came this morning. We're glad you're here. Myron and I probably feel a little bit alike. I don't think I feel quite like Myron does. I'm not sure. I suppose he probably missed at least maybe six Sundays with his time at SMBI. I'm not sure, but just the fact of us being gone for two Sundays, I would say it's a blessing to be back again this morning. And maybe I'll just comment a little bit about our trip. Uh, some of you have been praying for us as we went, and we appreciate that. I would have to say that we had a good trip. It was really a blessing. I encouraged the children before we left. I said, now, you know, all of life is part of God's school, uh, even if it's going on a trip. And when we think of going on a trip, we think of going and having a wonderful, elaborate time together. Uh, that's We usually have a good expectation about going on a trip. And I reminded our family that putting, we actually put, I wasn't quite sure on the miles, but somewhere mid-2,000 miles, uh, putting all those miles on with eight people crammed in a little minivan, we are also going to be in God's school of uh, learning to be at peace among ourselves in tight corners. And uh, I would have to say God was good to us. The children did well. But we did put a lot of miles on. Uh, um, Earl here talked about the boys' camp. Little did we know what drastic change would come to that camp within a couple of days after we left. We were encouraged there with Brother Nate. Found him encouraged in the Lord. And and uh, I would have had a goal come away from there. They were, they were hoping to add within a year, possibly before the summer's over, another, um, what do they call their little groups out there in the woods? I can't think of it. But they were hoping to add another group. And because of that, they were going to be building another chuck wagon somewhere in the woods. And I thought, well, that would be an excellent opportunity for a number of brothers and young fellows from our congregation to go out there and have that connecting with Nate and see what goes on and help with our connection with them. However, within several days' times, things drastically changed. Anyhow, we uh, we did have a, a good time. I felt blessed. We have, over the years, have had numerous young people in our home and uh, gotten to know them and different of them. We've gotten to know their parents, too, over the years, and they've often said, if you're ever on a trip and you come through, stop in. And it was been, I don't know how many years, that our family was hoping one day to make a trip to northern Wisconsin to visit. That's where our goal was when we left, which was quite a distance. However, we had numerous families that we've gotten to know spread out Ohio, um, and two families in Michigan, actually, before we made our way up around the lake and on up to Wisconsin. And that was just really a blessing to be able to have that connecting with some of those families who we've had in our home numerous times. However, I think our family would all agree that the highlight of our trip was in northern Wisconsin. And I I would have to say that it was my highlight. Uh, probably 19 years ago, I'm just going to guess based on Joshua's age, because he was born sometime while we were there in York. We, uh, Most of you probably know we lived there for two years, and we were house parents to the little school there in York, to the, to the house parents for the teachers that taught in the school. And we had, over the course of our years there, anywhere from three to five youth possibly living with us at a time. And... We arrived there the same day a young fellow did, or it was right around the same day, and he just came for six months and ended up in the summer. He went home for two and came back as a teacher. So his entire time living with us was probably about a year and a half. Young man, he came from Erie, Pennsylvania, and I won't, I won't forget. I never knew the young fellow before. He came, he pulled in there in a red Camaro, and... Uh, the leadership there at the small church advised him that he would park it out in the farm. It wasn't the best image of a young man in that kind of work there in the city school in a red Camaro, and he willingly did that. But, you know, it was a blessing to me to watch God work in that young man's heart. And within a year, the, the second year that we were there, we had 
three young ladies living with us, and it ended up he began showing interest in one of them, which put us into an interesting school that we just came out of, and that was guiding a young couple in a courtship living in the same place. Anyways, it ended up that at the end of the school term, he followed her back up to northern Wisconsin and ended up getting married there. My wife and I, I would have totally forgot it. We did a lot of reminiscing while we were there, but we actually were attendants in their wedding. We were part of their bridal party. I would have totally forgotten that. However, it was just a blessing to see God work in their lives. And I would have to say over the last, I'm going to guess, 18 years, we've had very little contact with them. They stopped in at our house probably a half a year ago when they were in the area, connected with them a little bit. But spending about three days with them was, it was just a joy and a blessing. And I guess what makes it such a blessing to me is, you know, when, God, when, when people allow God to work in their lives and their hearts and just seeing the beauty of what God will do, they have, I think it's six, maybe seven children. Uh, their two oldest are, have given their lives to the Lord. And just the blessing of, of uh, recognizing that here years ago you had the, you know, and I'm not saying that our family, I'm sure in many ways our family was not an ideal family when Todd and Kim lived there. But Todd's testimony was, as we shared over the weekend, that when he came to York, he had no vision for family life or a godly family or anything. And God had taught an eye in a school the years that we spent there together. And it's just a blessing to see that school continuing on in a young man's life as he allows God to work out this common salvation. And today there he is. And you know, it's interesting. It's a church way up there in the North Woods. And he's actually part of the leadership team of the church there today. And just to see the blessing of God on their lives was a thrill to us. And I would have to say it was encouraging for our family to be on that trip and to spend that time there with them. So that's a little bit of my heart to your heart of the trip that we went on. We just really enjoyed it and felt God blessed us on our way and that was a joy. But you know, it's always good, sometimes even almost better to come home again. And it's a blessing to be here. It's a blessing to share the love and the blessing of a local body, a local fellowship together. You can turn this morning for... uh, Continuation of the service, I'll call it, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and I am going to be focusing most of my attention on a very familiar verse. And I would think we could look at this very familiar verse and we could just continue to build on what Myron was already already sharing about. In my consideration for sharing this morning, I was just musing over the scriptures this week, unsure where I would end up going in my My attention was drawn to this verse, and I thought I would uh, try to pull a message together based on verse 8. However, in studying and looking at the context of this whole scripture, my mind went in a little bit of another direction, even though I'd like to, for the most part, focus on our attention here to verse 8 this morning. I believe the saints of God in the world and the day and the generation we live in need encouragement, don't we? You know... We were, most of us were probably here Wednesday night and heard somewhat of the astounding statistics of what has happened to the, the revival kind of churches that broke off of the very conservative element over the years and where they ended up, and it's sobering. And I think the saints of God in the day that we live in need encouragement. We need encouragement to continue allowing God to work out this so great a salvation. Philippians 4, I'm going to read the first, uh, I think, nine verses for now. Therefore, my brethren... Dearly beloved and long for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Odeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto men, the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And here we have the verse. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, 
think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. I've chosen to title, maybe for a lack of a better title, Conditions for Peace. We have peace mentioned several times in this passage of Scripture. And I also had to think, Jesus spoke of a time where men, uh, of a time coming on earth where men's hearts would begin failing them as they considered the things that are coming upon this earth. Men's heart would fail them. And I do agree with Brother Myron this morning. I think that we need to look at this common salvation that God is working out in our hearts together this morning and in these last days with joy. And I think it's the will of God that even in the last days, even in days where men's hearts will fail them, and we also live in a day, I believe, where there is a lack of peace. A lack of, the opposite of peace is conflict. And we live in a world with a lot of conflict. And traveling, just in our travels, uh, you know, in uh, getting in different homes, on, even on this trip, and homes that represent different churches, churches in our day and our generation experience more conflict than they should. But I believe it's the will of God this morning that we would have peace. And I believe it's the will of God that we would experience peace, even though, like I said, there's a rapid decline of godliness in the, in the uh, society that we live in. And as it says here, men's heart will fail them. But I believe it's God's will that we would have peace here this morning. And it says that in verse 7, it says, And the peace which passes understanding shall keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And just thinking about that verse here this morning, it's a peace that passes understanding. I don't think the world has any clue the peace. And I don't think sometimes we recognize the blessing of the peace that comes through knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and building our lives on the biblical values of the Word of God. And by walking with an open heaven over our lives, the peace is beyond understanding. The world knows little of the peace that I believe God would have for His children. But we also know in a real world how quickly that peace can be missing in our lives. That peace can be gone because of sin. That peace can be gone because of conflict. That peace can be gone because of circumstances. I even had to think as I was considering that the time where Jesus and His disciples got in the boat and they sailed out across the sea and this... Storm comes up and he was in the boat sleeping and they became fearful and their peace was gone. But Jesus was there. And God, I believe, is there for us, for his children in these last days. It's his will that we would have peace. Verse 9, I think it is, where he talks about the things here to be learned. And that's what I'd like to focus on in verse 8. There is things here to be learned, I believe, as we consider the context of this scripture that will make for peace in our lives. Now, one of the things as I began considering this scripture, and I, I never really thought of it before, but I'd like to at least partially bring attention to verse 2. He talks there. He says, I beseech Odious and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. You know, it would appear as we consider this passage of Scripture that there was some sort I would call a conflict or a strain going on in their relationship, that he admonishes them that they would be of the same mind in the Lord. And, you know, this morning as Myron was sharing about this common salvation, and, and, you know, it was encouraging to us to consider the common salvation. And we look at this common salvation with great joy, and the blessing. And then we think of getting together on a Sunday morning to spend our, our morning here in worship and praise to God. And, and you know, there's that joyous aspect of our common salvation. And it is. But you know, there's also another side of this common salvation that is worked out in everyday life that sometimes can be challenging, can it? That sometimes can be challenging. And I'd like to just remind of us of that this morning. As we consider the what, what Paul was addressing here, you know, he's talking and it's his heart that the church would be experiencing peace. And yet at the same time, he's admonishing them, and he's beseeching these two individuals that they would be of the same mind in the Lord. And, you know, we realize that when we have issues that arise, sometimes behind the scene, pretty quickly our peace can be gone, can't it? 
And he's beseeching them here to be of the same mind. To be of the same mind in the Lord. You know, those things can be, and I would like to suggest to us here this morning, a common thread throughout history of humanity is we don't always see the things the same. Is that not the truth? We don't always see those things the same. And you know, it doesn't take us long to realize that wherever there's people working together, there's times when we have a hard time seeing eye to eye. Is that correct? Or is there anybody here that never has experienced that? You know, those things are real. And I'd like to suggest to us this morning, and I don't know how this verse in verse 8 is going to affect you with where you're at this morning. I think, you know, every time when I look at that verse, I just look at that verse and get encouragement to me to think properly as a Christian, to learn how to think on those things that are true, those things that are just, those things that are pure. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, he says, think on those things. Also things that are lovely. And we consider that verse and we find encouragement for us. And this morning, it's my will that we would do that. But also, when we think of strained relationships, and I think there's a reason this morning, at least I'm going to suggest to us this morning, I think there's a reason why, as Paul's addressing the situation, he's encouraging these two to learn to get along. And then he's encouraging them not to be uh, anxious about a lot of things. And he's encouraging them in the way of the peace. And in the middle of that, we have this verse of him, I think, teaching us how to think. Trying to teach us how to think this morning. You know, I talked about being of the same mind. I think in families we learn that as parents. Are our children always of the same mind? We have things to work through, don't we? Amongst siblings, and as I said in church life, and even amongst leaders, I believe these two people, I'm not sure Odious and Syntyche, uh man or woman necessarily here, I don't, fully understand these names, and I think this is the only place these two names are mentioned in the Scripture. But I believe they're very prominent people in the church there at Philippi, and he was encouraging them to be of the same mind. So we know that even within leadership teams, sometimes there's breakdowns. And I think, and I'd like to give us all some encouragement this morning, as we think of these things, and as we think of being of the same mind, and we think of relationship breakdowns, to filter that somehow through Verse 8 of this chapter. That's a bit where we're going here this morning. Verse 6, as I mentioned before, it says, And be careful, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know, there's a lot of things, as I said before, that make for anxieties and can tend and make for anxieties in the church of Jesus Christ, especially when there is relationship breakdowns. And here he talks about when these things happen, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And you know, we can do that and we can trust the results to God. There are a lot of things, I believe, that the church could be anxious about. But I believe it's God's will this morning that we would have peace. It's the goal of the Christian. It's the goal of the writer here. And I think it's the heart of God, that His children would have peace. And we want to consider that here this morning. I'd like to also, before we get to that verse, just draw attention to a word in verse 3 that we read. He says, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. Is there anyone here that ever gave much thought and attention to that word, true yoke fellow? He calls it a true yoke fellow, and that word I found is not used anywhere else in the Scripture. So what is a true yoke fellow? Does somebody have an idea? What is a true yoke fellow? The, the, the Greek meaning of that word means a Christian. I found that interesting. just simply means a Christian, if I'm understanding it correctly. But I had to think of the scripture that talks about taking my yoke upon you. The yoke of Christ. Somebody that is in the yoke with Christ. Maybe I'm taking too simple and basic look at a word like this. But thinking of a true yoke fellow and thinking of it being a Christian. Somebody that's simply in the yoke with Christ. And I believe Paul here is asking for help for this true yoke fellow to help those which labor with me in the gospel. Whether he's referring to the problem where they were not being of the same mind, I'm not quite sure. But I'd like to suggest to us this morning, when it comes to having peace, you know, I think God wants us this morning to be peacemakers. And you know, I had to think of the scripture that talks about God has, God came to earth to reconcile 
lost humanity to himself. We agree with that. Scripture makes that clear. And he's given to the church this morning the ministry of reconciliation. And that ministry of reconciliation is God working out so great a common salvation in the hearts and lives of people. And you know, I believe, I'm going to suggest this this morning, that the church needs true yoke fellows that are in the yoke with Christ that are of those that are helping to resolve differences in relationships. Those involved in helping resolve differences in relationship. True yoke fellow. We get a beautiful picture when we consider that. So let's keep in mind as we go along here, at least to a degree, the possibility of what was happening in the church here at Philippi of two prominent individuals not being of the same mind. You know, I believe it's the will of God that his children would be of the same mind so God's work can continue the way God's heart is. So let's keep that in mind as we go along here. I'd like to also look, uh, there's a verse here that talks about moderation. Verse 5 says, Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And that means to be gentle and to be patient. A moderate person is not an overreactionary person. And I guess I'd like to just filter it through the whole idea, as I suggested here, that there was some difficulty taking place in relationships and how easy it is to become an overreactionary kind of person when things aren't going well. And he says, let your moderation be known to men. Let your moderation be known to men means mild or gentle or patient. And I believe we have to, and I believe it's the will of God that we would have that posture of heart in the middle of challenges and difficulties. And then he also says, rejoice in the Lord. You know, it's very easy, is it not, to lose our joy going through difficulties. And you know, I I appreciate what Brother Myron said in the devotional this morning about allowing God to work out His sanctification in the lives of His children. You know, that diamond that Earl referred to, that diamond in the rough, and allowing God to shape that diamonds. You know, we're a bunch of diamonds working together, allowing God to shape us. And in the middle of some of those challenging shapenings that come our way, it's easy to lose our joy. But here the writer writes, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let's not lose our joy in the midst of the God working out His will in the lives of His children. Alright, I would like to focus a good bit of attention now on verse 8. You know, he goes down through and he gives all those things to uh, the church here, I believe, the Philippian church. He gives those things, and then he gets to verse 8, and he's, it, it's almost like he's, he, he, he's, he's reached now to where he really wants to go, and then he says, finally, brethren. He says, finally, brethren. And I guess I wonder sometimes in the middle of challenging relationships, whether it would be in our families or whether it would be in church life, whether, it, you know, what, whatever kind of challenges that we come our way if sometimes God isn't saying, finally, brethren, think about these things. And I don't know how you're all going to process what I share this morning, what I will make sense to you and won't, but I would like for us, above all else, if I can say it that way, to have this verse tucked in the back of our minds when we find ourselves a syntyche or a odious in the times to come. You know, I wonder sometimes if we would, if I would learn to process a verse like this when it's me that is in that situation. When it's in me that's in that situation where I'm having a hard time seeing from another individual's perspective. And there's some interesting things for us to consider here this morning. And this is where I'd like to go as we consider this. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And as I suggested before, sometimes God's school that He has for His children, He has hard lessons that we go through. And if we can filter or learn how to sift some of these difficulties through this verse, and as Myron shared, you know, that working out that common salvation to learn to look 
and consider some of these things as we go through some of, some of these various things that we're talking about here this morning. We need to learn to think on these things. You know, we need to learn to think like God would have us to think. Paul is actually, he's encouraging the children, he's encouraging the, the church here or the, to, the, to the listener to learn to think rightly. I had to think of the verse that talks about what is highly esteemed among men is abomination to God. I think we need to learn how to think, and I think we need to learn how to think. You know, we're a bunch of diamonds in the rough being perfected. And I think if we can learn to think the way it instructs us here in this verse, we'll be much further ahead in life. You know, obviously, if he's encouraging us to learn to think like this, we need to learn how to think. Does that that make sense? We need to learn how to think. We need to think rightly as we process these things. And then we have a promise if we do this. It says the God of peace will be with us in verse 9. I'd like to put a good bit of focus on some of these things. And I'm going to focus largely, maybe it's because it's the first one I studied, and they kind of all flow together. But the whole thing of whatsoever is truth. Whatsoever is true. You know, I think we would all agree together we need truth. If we don't look at truth or if we don't consider truth, we really have nothing to stand on. That's why our society is in such terrible, horrific shape because we no longer believe in the absolutes of truth. You know, we hold in our hands the word of truth. It is truth that we want to stand. It's truth that has stood the test of time. And it's truth that is going to stand the test of time in the, in the future. It's truth. Whatsoever things are true, we need to think on these things. So the question is, will the church continue to believe and embrace the truth rather than worldly philosophies? Some of you, at least, were exposed to that debate that went on up in Connecticut. That was true, what was true versus man's worldly philosophy. Some of you are smiling. Those of you that didn't see it, I would encourage you to. That interesting debate between David Brousseau and Dean Taylor. You know, those fellows, they had all kinds of world philosophies that don't stand the test of times. We need to stand on truth. And you know, sometimes truth can be difficult to figure out, can it not? You know, I had to think of Wednesday night, the brother that shared here. You know, there's some very foundational basic beliefs in the Word of God, and we look at it and we say that's truth. And we believe it, we embrace it, and we walk in it, and we live it out. But then there's also other things in life where God leaves us with the challenge of figuring out. We take the principles on the Word of God, and we try to figure out what is the true way for the Christian to walk in today's society. And those can be the areas where we can arrive, if we're not careful, at different places. But I believe it's God's will when we find ourselves in any kind of challenging situation where we're trying to figure out that, number one, we would turn and we would desire truth. And, you know, I believe even in a relationship breakdown, truth is what we want to stand. If I find myself in a difficulty with a brother, do I want truth? Truth is essential. Truth is essential when it comes to the Christian life and truth is essential when it comes to trying to Untangle difficult situations. Whatsoever things are truth, we need to think on things that are true. The opposite of truth is deception or falsehood. And you know, I'd like to suggest this this morning. If we turn away from truth, as I guess I did suggest, we can find all kinds of good humanistic reasoning to explain away truth. But this morning, do we desire truth? Do we desire truth? I would recommend this morning that we desire truth. You know, even the uneducated, as Jesus chose for his disciples, can embrace truth and believe truth and walk in the reality of truth. Truth will stand and we need truth. As we consider this subject of truth, I'd like to turn to 1 John to give us some encouragement. You can turn there in your Bibles to, to uh, 1 John. 1 John is a beautiful... <clears throat> 1 John uh, chapter 1. And maybe I'll just read a greater part of this chapter here. I'm just going to read the whole chapter. 1 John chapter 1. You know, 1 John 1 is the chapter that I think of turning to when I think of fellowship. 
Fellowship is something, and I'm going to suggest that Brother Myron was speaking about as we think of God working out his common salvation. Fellowship is something that we experience in church life, and fellowship is a joy. And in order to experience the fellowship that I think God would have us to expel up, there's, uh, uh, experience, there's some essentials that go with appreciating uh, this fellowship. And I'm just going to read the chapter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. That life was manifested, and we have seen it and bear witness, and show you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And in order to have that fellowship, and then he says, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, we're first of all and foremost not going to experience the fellowship that God wants us to experience in church life if we're not individual, experiencing the fellowship with our Father. And it's because what Christ has done that we can experience that fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is Him working out the so greatest salvation in each one of our lives. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. You know, it's the heart of God this morning that we would be experiencing that joy. Here we see it again by having that fellowship. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and his truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his truth is not in us. You know, there's some very simple, basic things here in this passage as we think of truth, light. You know, truth and light are essentials in the Christian life. They're inseparable. Walking in truth is walking in the light. And as we think of the whole subject of truth and walking in the light, you know, it's the light of truth that we need to have that fellowship. Light. Walking in truth and walking in light. This chapter, as I said before, has everything to do with fellowship and something that we long for. Fellowship with God and fellowship with our brother. And it says here that he that says he loves God and walks in darkness... It talks about him that says he says he loves God and has fellowship with him, but walks in darkness, lies and does not the truth. You know, when we find ourselves in difficult situation, we need the light of God's word. We need the light of truth walking in the light so that we can see clearly. We need to think on these things as far as having light. Light is something that I think the Christian should desire. Walking in transparency with God. You know, I had to think of an example of light. You know, we need to walk in that light, in that light of truth where we can see ourselves for the way we are. We can see ourselves for the way we are. You know, we in our in our bedroom, we have one of those uh, lights on our ceiling. I think it's a four-way light. And, <clears throat> you know, in the past, sometimes when we'd have a bulb go out here and go out there, we would screw one of those light bulbs out and use it where it's needed. And after a while, we were down to three and then we have had another uh, bulb would go bad somewhere and somebody would go into our bedroom and would uh, take another bulb out and put it where it was needed. And I remember we were after a while, we were down to one bulb and it's been like that for a while. And I'm not the person that's the most particular of how things match up when I get dressed. But there's times where I'll put something on and I know that this shirt here goes with blue and this one over here. Uh, goes with black pants, and I'll get dressed, and I'm looking down. I'm like, well, maybe I should look now what color they are. But nonetheless, I'll have to go out into another room where there's light so I can see what I'm wearing. Does this match? What does this look like? Because back there in a room, it's a little bit dark. And, you know, that's the way it is in life. We need light. We need light so that we know how to walk in truth. We need the light of God's Word. We need the light of, and, you know, Sometimes we get this idea that we, it's, it's all about my relationship with God. And it is. It's all about my relationship with God. And, and yes, that is very essential and that's very important. But you know, the whole thing of walking in fellowship with my brothers also is the whole part of walking in light and 
seeing truth and understanding truth. As I said before, you know, there's some things in life that it's very clear in Scripture. What is God's will for the church? We've heard some of that Wednesday night. It's very clear. But then there's other things that aren't so clear. And, and oh, the blessing of being able to be in a church where there's light and where there's truth. And we can sit down together. As I referred to before, some of those behind-the-scenes things. Sometimes where church gets a little bit more difficulty, the potential is for it to get a little bit more murky. But we can sit down and look at things through the light of God's Word and come to a decision and make a choice and go ahead and live in the reality of light. It's God's will that we would learn to walk in light and have that light shining. You know, it's God's will that we would experience transparency. To be transparent, I looked the word up and it means easy seen through, allowing light to pass through with little or no interruption or distortion so that the objects on the other side can be clearly seen. You know, I'd like to recommend to us this morning, if we truly want to live what was shared this morning in the devotional message that we would learn to live a transparent, open life before the God of heaven and before a local body and brotherhood so that we can truly allow God to work out that sanctification in each one of our lives. And I have no clue what the situation was here in the church with these two different individuals that weren't seeing correctly. But I do, that most, I do know that most times... I believe when there is a conflict of values or conflict or, or not seeing the same, the, the same thing uh, in individuals' lives, the very fleshly or the very easy thing to do is try to get support, for my opinion, for, what, for, 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 my, for my side of the thing. Or are we the kind of person when we find ourselves in those kind of situations where we will stop and say, okay, okay I'm going to lay all that down. I want to see what is true. I want to see what is true. I want to see what is right. And as I said before, sometimes it's very simple. It's very clear. It's very spelled out in Scripture. And sometimes we need to take principles of God's Word and we need to know how to make that choice. And sometimes, maybe some of you can correct me later, but that's only understood in the context of a local brotherhood figuring out what is the will of God for the body or for the church. There can be very complex situations. I believe there was a very complex situation back there. And we all know enough and experience enough of church life that there can be very complex situations in the day that we live in. There can. We need light. We need light. And I believe we need transparency. You know, we all, probably most of us know the song that says, My heart is like a house. And then it goes on to talk about many different rooms in our heart. And you know, it's very easy... And it's very much a work of the flesh to have that area of our heart where we don't want anyone else to go. Is that walking in light? That's not walking in light. But I believe it's God's will that we as God's children would learn to walk in light and have the truth of God's Word. You know, we, we all have probably experienced it in our own life or experienced church situations where we you know, we, 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 this is part of my life. I'm just going to have this little secret part of my life over here. Maybe my parents won't know about it. My brother won't know about it. And I'm just going to kind of separate this little part of my life over here. It's going to be my thing. And, and, and this, is the way, this is the way I'm going to do it. And uh, most of the brotherhood over here won't know it. My parents won't know it. The Bible says that if we say we walk in truth, but walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But I believe the blessing of God really lies where we will allow our lives to be open and transparent before our brotherhood and before the God of heaven. That's walking in truth. Walking in truth. And I believe that is how we walk and live a life free from anxieties. Verse 7 reads this way. If we walk in the light as He is in the light and have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. That is a promise. That is a promise from God to His children. And I'd like to suggest to us this morning that that is what I believe about the assurance of salvation. Very much the same thing that Myron was talking about. If we walk in the light as He is in the light and have fellowship one with another, 
That is the ongoing work of salvation, I believe, working itself out in our lives. Is walking in the light and having fellowship one with another. You know, I, I, I believe this morning it would be my persuasion that if we're claiming the assurance of salvation, anything apart from that, it's likely we're trusting in a false hope. I'd like to suggest to us this morning, if we're trusting in assurance of salvation, anything apart from walking in the light as He is in the light and having that kind of fellowship, it's like, you know, I realize there's stipulations to all these things. But, you know, it says, when we do that, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, will cleanse us from all sin. Can we lay a hold of that promise this morning? That's a promise that God has for His children this morning who will walk in the light and have that kind of fellowship. Or are we hiding this morning? You know, we all heard probably already of the terminology of having smorgasbord Christianity. You know, where you can walk through a smorgasbord and you can take a little bit of this and you can go down and you don't want any of that, but I'll take a little bit of this. And we can go down through and we'll take a little bit of this. You know, it's very easy to have that kind of approach in fellowship life or in the Christian life. But, you know, that's not what God would have for His children. God has a prescribed remedy for His children. He has, we have the truth of the Word of God. And we want to trust this morning in what is true. In what is true. And then we go down through, and again, as I'm considering these verses here, I'm considering and just building somewhat even on what Brother Myron was sharing. Verse 8 says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You know, I believe we have to recognize in life, if we find ourselves, as I shared before, in a, in a, in a difficulty, a, a, an odious or syntyche kind of a situation, that if we say we have no sin, if our way is always right, I think we can interpret it that way, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You know, I think when we get in difficult situations, we, we do have to realize that not one of us is perfect. And there are times when we all probably find ourselves in error. And that's where I think we need what is true, do we not? We need what is true. And I think we need to have a recognition that there's not one of us, as we shared this morning. Maren asked the question, who's, who's reached that perfection? Not one of us have. Not one of us have reached that perfection. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's why we need the light, is it not? That's why we need to walk in the light. You know, sometimes I think we, we complex this whole thing of revival a little bit and living in revival. In fact, I recently read a book about it. You know, sometimes when we think of living a life of revival, a life of being revived, we think of some sort of loft. We think of some of these men that were, you know, those that, 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 that really lived a life of revival. But, you know, if we really want to live a life of revival, it is simply walking in the light. It is simply walking in the light, walking in the light of God's Word, walking in the light of truth, and allowing the truth of God's Word and the truth that comes through a brotherhood to shine light on our path that we can have a clear walk with God. I believe it's God's will. And then we have verse 9. It says, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, we sometimes, and we've all heard it said already before, that, that the whole First John 1, 9 can make for a sloppy Christian life. You know, we just live and, and we go through life and we commit a sin here and we commit a sin there and we just know we can First John 1, 9 it. We can confess our sin because we believe He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we go on and we live a sloppy life and we find ourselves... And so we get a little bit nervous about this verse sometimes. But I would like for us to also be careful when we consider this verse that we don't overreact. That we don't overreact. And here again, I don't know what was taking place in the lives of these individuals. But you know, we all have those areas where maybe we are doing things and, and, and where we have those rough edges. Where we do need this verse. We do need this verse. We do need to confess our sin. And He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the truth that we, the, the question that we're asking this morning, as we consider at least part of this word, verse, are we walking in truth? Are we walking in truth? You know, and I, I'd like to make sure that we get it. You know, when we find ourselves in a difficult situation, it is very easy to hide partial truth, what is really happening. 
You know, it's very easy for somebody in that situation to go find the supporters that will support his side, his persuasion, his belief, rather than bringing this situation up and wanting to see the truth. Wanting to see the truth versus a lie. So this morning, are we walking in the light? Are you walking in the light? Am I walking in the light? Or do I have those areas of hidden darkness where I don't want the light to be turned on? You know, if we're walking in darkness, we don't see very far. There's times, I had to think, there's times where I'll get up in the night, maybe I want to get up and use the restroom, and I don't want to wake my wife up, so I'll get up and the house is dark and I won't bother turning a light on. You ever do that? And you're trying to find the door and it's dark, and you suddenly bump into the wall. And you realize the door wasn't there. Those things happen. But you know, it's just as simple as turning the light on, is it not? It's just as simple as turning the light on and walking in the light. All right, I'm not going to spend very much time on the other words, but I would have liked to a little bit. Let's go back again to Philippians. The rest of them, some of them kind of all tie together, but at least like to allude to them a bit. There in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. We talked about things that are true, and I think we all have it. We need the truth. We need the truth in difficult situations. And then it says, the next thing he talks about here is, uh, whatsoever is true, whatsoever things are honest. You know, there's times in life where the situations we find ourselves in, we just need to take a good, honest look at what's going on. And here again, as I'm thinking about this verse, I'm thinking about the situation as we go through life and we find ourselves in a difficult situation, whatever it may be, you know, and we need to take an honest look at the sober realities of whatever situation I'm faced with. Honesty rather than dishonest. Uh, honest means to be grave, things that are worthy of respect. Honesty. We need to think about things that are honest. Secondly, or the, or the next one here it is, is, is uh, think on things that are just. You know, God is a righteous God. God is a just God. And we need to think about things that are just. You know, our world thrives on unrighteousness, does it not? Our world thrives on unrighteousness. And I believe that unrighteousness affects the church of Jesus Christ in many, many ways. But here he speaks of thinking on things that are just. I believe the news media is full of things that are not just. But it's the, the, the desire of the Christian to think of things that are just. And then we have the next one, to think on things that are pure. It's the heart of God that we think of th- on things that are just and things that are pure. Uh, holiness would fit in there. And then uh, as it goes down through there, it talks about whatsoever things are lovely. And here again, as I'm thinking about that subject of thinking of things that are lovely, you know, in difficult situations where there's relationship breakdowns and where there, there's things that we're not seeing eye to eye on things, it's very easy to develop unlovely attitudes towards each other, is it not? He talks here about thinking on things that are lovely. First Peter 4, 8 says, And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. You know, it's very easy to react in difficult situation, difficult situations and Love can very quickly and very easily become missing as we're working through challenging situations. Maybe I'll just read a few verses in 1 Corinthians 13, which is a familiar chapter to us. Uh, Verse 5 through 7, it says, Doth not behave itself unseemingly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. And then it says, Love beareth all things, believeth all things, and hopeth all things, and endureth all things. You know, if love is missing in a relationship, we're in bad trouble. 
are we not? Love must be essential. Love has to do with how we think towards each other. Jesus once said, you know not what spirit you are of, as he was relating to, I believe it was his disciples. I think it's important as we consider these areas of struggle, these areas of struggle possibly with a brother that we all would be on our guard. Do we have and are we thinking things that are lovely towards one another? As I said, when that dwindles, I think we're in trouble. And then he goes on and concludes this verse by saying, Whatsoever things are, okay, a good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, here this morning he is instructing his children to think on those things. Maybe I'll just uh, read a number of the following verses there yet. He says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care for me hath flourished again, wherein ye were careful but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am in therewith to be content. I know both how to abase and how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Notwithstanding ye have done well that ye did communicate with me in my affliction. I guess I'd just like to point out to us here this morning that yes, God does take His children through difficult situations and times, but I believe if we learn to apply this simple basic scripture as we're going through challenging, difficult times, I believe it will be a great assistance to us. So I trust that verse 8 can be a refreshment to us. You know, I guess if we learn to think and process things in light of verse 8, it may not always guarantee that things will come out like we like them to, will it? But I do believe that if we learn to apply these things in our lives and consider those things and, and, and think on those things as we go through difficult bumps, I believe it can greatly assist us. And when the outcome would be. And I guess this morning as I, as I consider this whole thing, you know, as I consider this summary of this, this passage that we looked at here this morning, and considering the great need for the church there to be of the same mind in the Lord, and I know that this morning I focused at least largely on things that are truth. And I know I even, I did point out a bit that, you know, Sometimes it's a bit difficult in situations to understand what the truth actually is or what the right way to go is in difficult situations. And, you know, I had to think, as I already probably shared, but just to draw a conclusion to it all, you know, we live in changing times. We live in, you know, various, as you look back throughout history past, through the generations, up until the current day that we live in, we live in changing times, and I believe every church age that the church has gone through and lived in was responsible to take the truth that is in God's Word and make pra- practical application for that day and age and generation. I believe that's there. I believe, you know, as I said before, there's some things that are clear. It's spelled out. We look at it, and, and we know what is the way to go. But then there is all kinds of other challenging difficulties that come our way in the Christian life that make it difficult sometimes to know what is the right choice to make as far as practical application is concerned. And, you know, there's an interesting scenario that happens in church life, and that is that you have churches scattered across the scope, you know, in our country or even in our county, wherever you want to look, there's churches. And churches take God's word and brotherhoods take God's word. You know, there's different methods of administration. Some is focused more on a leadership level. Some more on a fellowship level, which we have come to appreciate here in our fellowship with our brothers' meetings and so forth. But I believe every age and generation is responsible to take the God of word, God's word, the principles in God's word, and make practical application as to what the will of God would be for that specific congregation and to walk in it. And that can be a challenge. And that can cause real difficulties 
and bumps in church life, can it? You know, when, 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 a, when a given congregation decides that they're going to make a decision or a choice in this certain area and walk in it. You know, right now there's a lot of churches that are trying to figure out what in the world to do with technology and Internet and phones and all the filth that is right there. You know, there, there's churches trying to decide what to do. Some churches decide this way. Some churches decide this way. And, you know, history passes. We talked about it. You know, we had radio came and television came and all these kind of things come and go in church life. And we look at it and we say, what is the right thing to do? What is the right thing to do? And, you know, it's very easy. And I'm thinking especially as young people, but it goes beyond young people. It affects us as as parents. It affects all of us. But we look at church life. What is the thing to do? And we make a choice. And, you know, for some of us, depending on what that choice is, it may mean a bit of a cross force. It may mean a bit of a sacrifice. It may mean a difficulty. It may mean something that in my conscience I would have liberty to do, but the brotherhood chooses to do it a little bit different than I would. And it may mean that in order for me to continue in fellowship, I have to bear a bit of a cross here. I have to sacrifice. I have to give up something. And, you know, the easiest thing to do is when we find ourselves in those kind of situations is look about 10 miles down the road. There's another church. They didn't make that that weird choice or decision. I'd be much better off down there. And, you know, it can make for a real unrest in our hearts when it comes. And I don't know. There's not a real easy answer to that. But I did, as I'm sharing that, I did have to think, you know, that's one interesting scenario that my brother Todd way up in northern Wisconsin doesn't have to deal with so much they face challenges and they make some choices in church life we had a lot of time for some real good fellowship up there they make choices in their church of uh, of a certain direction they want to go and there's some that have to bear the cross and many times here where we are where we have our whole smorgasbord of churches we can go over here and find another one that fits my thinking or I can go over here and find another one that fits my thinking. And we hop and we jump over there. Up there, they don't just do that. They might have to drive, I don't know how many hundred miles to find that. To find that. And, you know, I believe it's very easy to become unsettled. And I believe an individual that begins going down that road of hopping and jumping rather than sometimes. And I'm not saying it's never wrong to do that. I'm not saying that. I'm not indicating. I don't want to make anyone feel squirmish because... Maybe they've had that. But, you know, it's very easy to develop patterns in life to go that route rather than just realizing that God has me here. And I would hope this is the kind of heart that I can have. And this is the kind of heart that I would recommend for you in the future to go somewhere in your Christian life. And that is to realize that not every church always makes the best practical application to each and every situation. Because there's times we make choices and we don't know what the outcome is going to be. But I believe there's a way to move ahead in faith and make a choice and and just walk and live in the reality of that, even though it may cause a sacrifice. And I, I guess I'd just like to encourage us this morning. I believe in all the aspects of our personal salvation, working out with the God of heaven. That has to. If that's missing, we have no fellowship. But I believe it goes beyond that. It's God working those kind of things out in the context of a local body and a brotherhood making those kind of choices as we move ahead. And I'd just like to suggest to us this morning that the peace of God that passes all understanding, that the world has no clue what it is, I believe when we are at that kind of a place where we recognize that God has me here, at times maybe even though I might not fully understand or comprehend all these things. And I'm not sharing these things with you this morning because I see great needs in our congregation. I just know that you're made up of the same thing that I'm made up of. I'd just like to encourage us this morning that if we find ourselves at that kind of place in whatever fellowship God has you and I in, and in this case most of us here this morning in this fellowship, that I really believe that that is where we'll be under the glory spout of God and where we will and can be experiencing that beautiful peace that passes all understanding that the world knows so little to nothing about. And I'd just like to encourage us this morning in that way. And I would like to encourage us this morning that if we find ourselves in a difficult, challenging situation as we have possibly that was happening here in this passage of Scripture, that we would consider to think rightly 
through those kind of difficult situations, and I believe then we can be experiencing that peace. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, thank you for your love. Thank you for your great mercy. Thank you for the encouragement that we can receive from you. Thank you, Lord, for this congregation here this morning. I just pray that you would bless us as we go forward here in church life and in our relationship with you and allowing you to work out this common salvation in our lives. I pray, Father, that your people would find encouragement to continue to live and serve you in the future and in the days ahead. We commit our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen.